Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us at the Startup Sales Podcast. Today, we're going to be speaking with J.R. Butler. J.R. has grown his customer base from 200 to 2,000 in just four years. J.R. likes to hire sales executives with no experience, so today we're going to be speaking about what he looks for when hiring uh, in order to tell if they're going to be successful or not, and why it's also important that they have gone through adversity. Uh, We're going to also take a look at how an early stage startup can utilize its partners to grow its customer base. And next week, we're going to be speaking with Kirk Tharp. Kirk has 26 years of sales leadership under his belt. And as the average tenor for a sales VP is, is about 19 months, he's going to speak about how a company could keep a leader engaged. So without further ado, let's jump into our conversation with JR. Startup Sales is a podcast about what it's really like to get a business off the ground. We talk with founders, CEOs, and sales VPs from the high-tech market. You'll learn how to build and scale a sales team. You'll also hear about the growth challenges and tough decisions from others who have had both successes and failures. And now, your host of the Startup Sales Podcast, Adam Springer. JR, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Adam. Excited to be here. Great. Uh, why don't we start with a, you know, a quick intro to Turbonomic? Absolutely. Um, so we, we've been around since about 2009 when we got our first round of funding. But as you mentioned, I've, I've been there since 2014, since we had about 50 employees and 200 customers in the last four years. We've grown to 2,000 customers and over 550 employees. Uh, but in terms of the technology, it's we're a hybrid cloud management platform that allows customers to automate uh, resource management decisions from sizing, placement, and capacity, as, as you said, to guarantee performance, uh, maximize efficiency, and maintain compliance of things like HA, configuration, et cetera, all done automatically. Really, really powerful, powerful platform. Great. Who, who is your target uh, audience? Uh, I'd say we're we're focused on the Fortune, call it five thousand, uh, but really any company that drives their business through applications, which, as you guys know today, is is pretty much everybody. Um, but we're not really verticalized. We don't just focus on say you know the Fortune one thousand or anything like that. It's really the whole premise actually of the company and when it was founded was the ability to run any workload on any cloud at any time. Um, and that's to this day, that's really the core of, of the engine and, and the company. Great. How did you, uh, how did you find your way uh, into Turbonomic and, and your way into sales? Uh, great question. I, so I had an internship in college at a company that everybody knows, EMC. I grew up in, in Boston, Massachusetts. So, you know, the old saying at EMC is it stands for everybody's my cousin. So I had a football coach who uh, growing up was a was a early, early employee at EMC, got me an internship when I was in college at the time. Candidly, I wasn't Technology wasn't really where I was headed, but I got an opportunity to spend the summer in the data centers at their headquarters, learned a lot about virtualization, storage, networking, et cetera. When I graduated, I uh, was interested in the ability to work in virtualization specifically. So I ended up 
at a reseller of EMC, VMware, Cisco, HP, Dell, et cetera. Uh, and then from that perspective, I actually ran in to Turbonomic. It was called VM Turbo at the time at a customer of mine. Uh, really interesting story. Essentially, was a great customer who bought a lot of servers and storage for me, but also you know, had a lot of performance challenges. And, and basically, kind of overnight, they stopped calling uh, myself and our, our engineers on the weekend with performance issues. And then they stopped buying servers at the clip that they were buying. And I simply asked them, what's, what's going on? I thought they were working with another partner. And actually, the VP of infrastructure there did a demo for me and my CTO of VM Turbo. And I literally was at the company 45 days later after seeing the demo, because as soon as I saw it, I was like, wow, this thing is something special. Um, and luckily, I made the right bet. Absolutely. Wow, it's uh, quite, quite the journey to get into a position that you're at now. You've been there for quite some time. How long? Uh, almost five years now. Yep. Yep. So you started there as an account executive and have made your way into management. Uh, now, as I said, VPs, VP sales. What were some of the challenges, your biggest challenges uh, that you faced uh, as a, with no prior management experience coming into the sales team? That's a great question. Um, I think, you know, anybody who's gone from individual contributor to sales management can appreciate that you don't really know what you don't know until you try to teach somebody that doesn't know anything. I was lucky enough that I joined the company at a point when they were we were growing at like 200%, 200% a year clip. Um, and we were doing a lot of promoting with, within. I actually, I moved from a account executive to a, to a manager in about three months uh, because I had some success as an individual contributor. Um, the biggest lesson that I learned was the way that I think and what made me successful as an individual contributor is not going to be the same for the reps that will work on my teams in the past, in the future, and presently. So it's about you know understanding the outcome you're trying to drive and then figuring out from a team perspective, how do those different people get motivated to get to those same outcomes? What's their approach, process, et cetera? Um, that was probably the biggest lesson that I learned uh, coming from an individual contributor to a manager that and and realizing operational cadence is really, really important as a manager and making sure that people adhere to it, something that not all individual individual contributors do. So that was a big shift for me as well. And how did you overcome a challenge like that? You have to make it part of your daily cadence with reps. You have to uh, measure it, incentivize it. That's really what it comes down to. Um, you know, in our case, it's it was our CRM, Salesforce, that kind of drives that. So essentially, the way that I I was able to overcome it is when I when I talked to sales reps, when we did one on ones, when we did forecast calls, we lived and breathed out of Salesforce and you know, kind of created this mantra that if, if it didn't happen in Salesforce, it didn't happen. So that, that alone created some really strong operational cadence for every team that I've ran at the company in the last five years. What, before coming a manager, what were, were some of the thoughts that you had? And, and let me rephrase that. What were some of the misconceptions that you had, uh, that you learned that you had? 
Good question. Uh, my experience as an individual contributor was was mainly at a at a reseller, right? So um, my engagement with management, sales management, other than obviously the sales manager I had, which was just the owner of my reseller, was with managers at some of these big companies that we resold, like Dell, EMC, Dell and EMC and HP and VMware and Cisco. And I think, you know, my misconception was kind of that these guys just sat around and did forecast calls with their reps and and waited for deals to come in. Um, <laughs> so, so and listen, in some in some cases, that's the case at some of these bigger bigger companies that are well established and have a scalable and forecastable business. But you know what? What I realized very quickly coming to a startup and being in a manager role there, where we were hiring, you know, at the beginning we hired a lot of kids right out of college without any sales experience whatsoever, other than maybe waiter waiters and waitresses in in their summer jobs in college. Um, that it's going to be a lot more uh, sleeves rolled up, hands on the job kind of selling with the rep. Um, that was that was a surprise for me, but you know I learned it pretty quick that it does. It's not. It doesn't work that way. You don't just sit back and look at a spreadsheet and do forecast calls. <laughs> yeah, you have to lead by example. Exactly. All right. So so if you're hiring and taking on. Uh, new sales reps with no experience. What are you looking for when you were hiring a salesperson? Uh, how did you know these people would be good? Really, the, it's, it's what you have to look for is some of the uncoachable things. You know, somebody who's been through adversity, um, you look for, for that competitive nature. You look for something, finding something that they've been passionate about and getting them talking about it. Because that's really in a startup, what's the, the most important characteristic that I found in hiring is, is being able to hire somebody that can get passionate about something. Um, the other thing that's really key when hiring new salespeople that are new to technology sales, you really want to look for three things that, that these people have. And, and I, you know, in a word, I'd describe it as curiosity, because what they have to get really good at really fast is they have to be curious enough to learn about the technology. They don't have to get into the weeds like an engineer, but they have to understand how the technology works. Why does the technology work? Why is it different than the competition and what people are doing today? The second is you have to hire people that are curious about a lot of different businesses because anybody who's done technology sales at the end of the day knows that you know customers don't buy products because of bits and bytes. They buy it because it's valuable. To the, to the company that you're selling to. So understanding how di various industries work, whether it's a law firm, a college, a hospital, or a bank is really important because if you are curious to understand how their business works and you're curious to understand how technology impacts their business and then you have enough knowledge on the product to explain to a customer why there's business value. And then the third thing is kind of what everybody thinks of as a salesperson, which is the ability to 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 be liked <laughs> and, and, and be able to, you know, I, I call it the, the have a bear factor. You, you want to hire people that can sit with a stranger and, and, and have a drink with them and, and get somebody to like them. Right. So that's kind of that. That's like a lot of people think of that as that's the only thing that matters in sales. I think that's, that's probably one of those things that you can't really learn. Uh, but that's really important that you got to look for in people. 
Yeah, you have to be able to build that rapport quickly with uh with new people. Exactly right. Okay. You said that uh when one of the things that you were looking for is, is somebody that's been through some adversity. Why is that important? So for our company, the reason it's important and and I would imagine this rings true at every at every newer startup type of company, um we're going up against business as usual. So the way I would describe this and maybe it's because we're category creating unbudgeted software and, and, and perhaps it is different for like a flash storage startup or a backup startup. Because if you think about what we what we go do is we go and we meet somebody for the first time and we try to convince them within three to nine months to give us, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars that they weren't planning to spend, you know, five minutes before they met us for the first time. And we aren't going in and, and, you know, the analogy I use is insulin versus vitamins, right? Insulin people need. If you don't take it, you die. It's pretty simple, right? You don't buy a storage array. You don't buy a physical server. You don't buy a core network switch. Um, you're, you're screwed. Uh, with us, they're, they're surviving and, and running their business without us. So we're candidly a vitamin and our job is essentially to convince a customer that if they don't buy us, their leg's going to fall off as if they didn't take their insulin. So um, that's really hard to do, really hard. It's, I think it's, you know, uh, one of the hardest things to do in business is, is, is do an unbudgeted uh, software project. So um, finding somebody that's fought through adversity, because I've never in five years and, you know, out of our 2000 customers, I've probably worked with. 800 to a thousand of them to help, you know, my team sign them up. I've never had somebody get on the phone and say, yeah, we're budgeting for you guys next quarter. We're really excited. So you got to fight through a lot of pain. We're in, we're in a space where there's some big gorillas that have management suites that we compete against. Um, So being able to go in and, and be the underdog and win, that's something that I look for in any person that I, that I think about hiring on my team. How are your sales teams split? So we, we're not big enough, quite big enough yet to be verticalized. So we essentially have, we have two segments and, and candidly, this has changed a few times, right? We're, we're, we're very much uh, that Silicon Valley fail fast type of, type of methodology where we try different things, but where we're at now and where I think we're going to remain at least for the near future, the near term is we're split between enterprise and commercial where enterprise is named accounts. Um, we've, tried to, we've tried to splice up the market so that the enterprise team is working essentially seven-figure deals and above, customers with um, 2,000 or so workloads or more, 2,000 or so virtual machines or you know, public cloud instances or more. And our commercial team is working with companies with less than that. Um, and then we're split, obviously, based off territories. Um, we have uh, in commercial uh, three regional vice presidents that each have a few directors and five to seven sales reps. And then same thing in enterprise, three regional vice presidents um, with each with three directors and, and five to seven sales reps. And then the same thing in EMEA and APAC and, you know, the other markets that we're going after. For the territory, different territory reps, uh, do you do you give them all the same kind of targets, or is it kind of uh, 
is it different per per territory? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I, you know, great example in 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 my business is New York City, right? So I've got I've got seven sales reps that cover the Northeast, uh, north of New York, um, and that's you know Pennsylvania, New England, uh, Eastern Canada, upstate New York. There's seven people across a massive patch of dirt, and then in New York City, literally, I have seven people. <laughs> It, you know, however big Manhattan is. So um, it's 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 trying to focus where the opportunity is, is where you're going to try to try to go attack. Right. So I don't the sales rep that covers, you know, the big money management banks has less accounts than the sales rep in, you know, Ottawa and Montreal, who's covering, you know, not as not as dense of a area. Um he has more accounts because we really need focus. You know, it's, it's all about, uh, return, right? So we're, fo- we're trying to focus where we're going to get the most return. That's how you're trying to develop and, and come up with segmentation. It's, it's honestly one of the hardest parts of our job. And one of the things that keeps me up at night is certainly, um, knowing and feeling like my reps are spending their time in the right places. Yeah. Okay. What are some of the downfalls that you you found to splitting your team so finally into different territories? Um, just you know, I guess cross function, cross region um, sharing is really hard. As we grew up, we started with an inside sales model, a hundred percent when I was there. So it was like learning by osmosis. You heard the guy talking to um, you know Silicon Valley Bank that covers the West Coast on the phone with them because you're at the table next to them covering state street out of Boston. So you would learn from those people as we grew and and we split between commercial and enterprise. um, And we went to more of a field model, which you, you almost have to do an enterprise. um, I don't get, I don't get to have my rep that covers um, Desjardins in Montreal. He doesn't get to hear the rep that covers JP Morgan chase in New York city. So trying to figure out ways to make sure that that the lessons learned at JP Morgan are getting taught uh, to the rep that's trying to, you know, sign up Desjardins as a customer is really important and really challenging. Now, you, you're selling a more technical of a, a product. Uh, it's not even a product. It's kind of a solution, we'd say. Uh, do you require that your salespeople have technical knowledge? They don't have to have certifications or anything like that um but what we do is internally we we have a lot of enablement um it is a very technical sale and it can go into the weeds during an evaluation so it's important that you know we kind of do a infrastructure cloud 101 especially on the enterprise team because now what we're doing is we're hiring a lot of folks with enterprise experience, but not with infrastructure or cloud experience. So we're going out, we're trying to find reps that have sold unbudgeted software and that isn't always in the infrastructure space. So, you know, we find ourselves going after old um, ServiceNow reps or Salesforce reps that don't know, you know, what ReadyQ is on a, on a virtual machine. We've got to teach them that. Uh, it is important, it's not required, so we have to we have to bring that to bear after we hire them a lot of times. Okay. Are you working with any uh, kind of pre-sale engineers? 
Yeah, yeah. We basically, in enterprise, we have a two-to-one rep to SE um, ratio. Um, so that's really important. But, you know, because it's because these deals are getting so large and we touch, I mean, if you think about what our software does, we touch every level of the stack from the application to the data store. Um, so it's really important that you, you, you can live and breathe in the person's shoes that you're talking to. So even having an SE doesn't, it doesn't get the reps off the hook on knowing what they're talking about to a degree when it comes to those different technologies. <laughs> yeah. You don't want them to get lost in the conversation while they're, well, in the meeting. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, are you guys working with any SDRs? Yeah, we have, we have a lot of SDRs, uh, specifically in our commercial space. Um, we grew up, that's how we grew up as a company, by the way, was, was SDRs. At one point in 2000, call it 2015, that year, at one point we had about 100 SDRs. We were making literally across the SDRs and the AEs about 12,000 calls a day out of our office in Boston. Um, we've, you know, and, 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 you know, that did, that does good and it does bad. I'll be really honest with you when you have a new person trying to get meetings and that's what they're gold on. You can, you can burn, you can burn some bridges sometimes that we have to go repair now, but our perspective has always been, I'd much rather have, customers say, yeah, I know you guys, you haunted the crap out of me for a year straight versus no, I've never heard of you. Um, SDRs are, are much more strategic and focused now than they were early on because that's just where we are in terms of our partnerships and our, our partner ecosystem. So we're getting a lot more access to accounts in different ways than cold calling SDRs. Like what? Uh, we have an OEM relationship with Cisco. So Cisco has a rebranded product that they resell of ours called Cisco Workload Optimization Manager. Um, and obviously Cisco's a, a big elephant in the room and gets us access to the executives that we need to go do a deal. We have a co-sell partnership with Microsoft where um, if we work with a Microsoft sales rep and they help us close an opportunity with a customer, they actually get um, they get comped on essentially 10% of our deal is, is, is put towards their Azure consumption goal because we help customers get to the cloud faster and, and stay there. Um, and then uh, BMC also resells our product. Uh, so they're incentivized to get us access to accounts. Um, and then we've really grown out our value-added uh, resell channel as well. We have a lot of great partners that have us in their portfolio, both as Turbonomic, but also as Cisco Workload Optimization Manager. So across all those avenues, you know, you have an opportunity to look at any account that's in your name as a sales rep and say, all right, do I want to cold call these people? Do I want to send them an email? Do I use marketing, you know, whether that's videos or um, events, or do I look at the, the, the channel ecosystem and the alliance ecosystem that we have? Yeah. That's nice. You got to be uh, guilty by association. That's right. On starting, starting name dropping. <laughs> is is your SDR team then? They're only doing outbound, or is, do you guys have any inbound coming in? We have inbound from marketing. Yeah, so we're we're there's their 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 first line for any type of inbound marketing leads, whether that's white papers we have out, um, Gartner, you know, engagements, um, 
you know, we have things like drift on our website that leads to inbound engagement and the SDRs handle those today. And how are you guys handling the uh, the handoff between SDR to the sales? They, the expectation, you know, they have certain things that they need to qualify prior to a rep taking over. But the goal is to for the SDR to get as much information, relevant information that we find to be relevant for us, for our product specifically and our sales motion specifically. And then they set a, they set a meeting and then they're, they, they're, their hands are off from there. So before uh, getting into sales, you said that you were working with a partner uh, reseller. With with this kind of experience, how can startups best utilize the relationship with their partners? Absolutely. I think so at the beginning of a company going to the channel to say, you know, we're going to be a channel company. We're going to sell through the channel. Um, it's all about expectations. Uh, when we were, uh, you know, a $12 million a year revenue company with, you know, less than 100 employees, when we went to the channel, the expectation was that we want access to your accounts. We're going to, you know, you're going to get margin to get us a meeting and then we're going to do the heavy lifting in a, in a sales cycle. As we've matured, the expectation now is that same access, uh, but now we're we're enabling them and incentivizing them to be able to do more without us to, and then most importantly, you know, and I can speak from experience as, as a channel reseller, you know, doing a, a, a software acquisition is great, but what I want to really understand is what's the opportunity for me to sell more products along with that, as well as most importantly, services. So we've really matured there, right? Um, and that's and that's how that's kind of the maturity curve that you need to go up is first get some wins with them, and 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 essentially what partners really care about is they really care about three things: they care about margin, that's how par- partners live and die; they care about happy customers, they want customers for life, is what I used to call them when I was a reseller. Um, and the way you do that is by selling great solutions to them, which is what we are. And then the third thing they want is is access to new accounts. So, you know, educating them on our differentiators, our unique value prop allows them to go to a company that they haven't sold to before that already has, you know, a partner of record in things like Cisco and EMC and HP and whatever else, what other infrastructure partners that customer has and says, hey, I know you're already working with this partner on these things, but here's this unique solution that I have that I'd like to to prove my value to you with, um, and that gets them access into new accounts. And, and then they go and kind of rinse and repeat and try to drive margin, professional services, and make that customer happy. And um, if you have that type of story that you can go tell a partner, they're going to be super interested in, lean, in, in leaning in for sure. And, and the other thing that you want to avoid is, is channel conflict. So it's really important that the reps on your team as a, as a startup are incentivized the same way to sell direct as they are to sell through the channel, if not, you know, more incentivized to sell through the channel. Because as soon as you have a bad incident with a partner where, you know, there's some gray area, who introduced who, things, you know, they have a, everybody has a, a memory, long memory for the bad things and a short memory for the good things. So you've got to avoid the bad things as much as you can. Okay, great. So, so incentivize the both 
both leads channels uh, the same uh, mm-hmm. to, to keep the, to keep the sales guys happy and and the channel partners happy. You got it. Okay. Um, and I like what you said about having a having unique having a unique position so that uh, it opens up new windows for the channel partner. It's a, it's a good way to kind of for the channel manager to to approach uh, and reach out to people. Exactly. Great. Um, so let's get back to your sales team. What have been some of the biggest challenges that you've had as you're growing the team? I think uh, standardizing the sales process has been has proved itself um, pretty challenging in that, you know, especially when we moved into the enterprise model where you weren't just, you know, you weren't hiring, we're not hiring people that are new to sales like we were three years ago. We're hiring kind of industry vets who have had success. Hopefully you're hiring people that have had success, which is a good thing, but it's a bad thing because what made somebody successful at VMware or EMC or Salesforce or ServiceNow is not necessarily going to be what, what makes them successful here. So being able to hire somebody that can be humble and again, going back to that curiosity, I, you know, I love when I'm interviewing somebody and they say to me, well, can I talk to some of your most successful reps? Because that shows me that they're going to, they're going to call those people. They're going to engage those people and want to learn what, what made, what has made you successful? What are the repeatable processes that you go do when you get into a new account that lead to success? Um, and the more we can standardize, you know, we're far enough along, we're a hundred million dollar company from a revenue perspective that we know what works, we know what doesn't. And when reps think that they have the secret sauce and they're new, that's a, that's a scary thing. So we got to make sure that we're creating this standardized process, but still letting them, you know, operate in, in the ways and that, that have made them successful but also following along with what we know works. That's been a huge challenge um, as we built the company. It's really interesting. You, you say for both at the beginning stages of the company uh, where you're hiring college, uh, college graduates and everything, and now you're hiring vets, that curiosity is one of the biggest things that you're looking for. Yeah, in hiring. we love to see guys that have done it at different types of companies. That That's a... To me, that's a really exciting thing that I've sold a CRM, but I've also sold, uh, you know, a, a cloud product before, like a, like a, you know, or a application performance management product before, you know, if you've done it, if you switch gears like that before, that means and had and done it successfully, that's a good sign that you can do it again. Great. Well, uh, JR, I really appreciate uh, you taking the time to talk with us. It's uh, learned a lot and really have a, a lot to, to sit here and take in and think about. Is there a way that uh, people could reach out to you if they have any questions? Absolutely. Uh, obviously, you can find me on LinkedIn, JR Butler. Uh, and then my email is just jr.butler at turbonomic.com. Um, and happy to field any type of responses and, and reach out for sure. Okay. I'll note that your your LinkedIn it's J period R period uh, Butler uh, for those that are searching you won't find it as uh, just JR. All right, thank you. Thank you, Adam. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to Startup Sales with Adam Springer. 
Subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. To contact Adam about consulting services or speaking engagements, visit StartupSalesPodcast.com or email StartupSalesPodcast at gmail.com. JR, I have some questions for you. Uh, the final five questions here. What is your favorite sales or leadership book? I, there's a book called Extreme Ownership by Jocko Wilnick. That's, um, I've read it probably three or four times at this point. It's hands down my favorite. Yeah. Are you listening to his podcast? I am. Yes. Yep. All right. Uh, do you have somebody that you follow or read for sales or leadership ideas besides Jocko? Uh, I, I, I listen to Tim Ferriss. Um, just that's not really necessarily sales or leadership. His background is, is similar to mine in that he was in tech sales before he kind of got into investing and stuff like that. Um, that's that's a good one for me, um, and then I listen to I listen to a lot of uh, and read a lot of like self help. Um, I'm big on the routine stuff. Like I love daily habits, like daily habits that make long term success. That's a big thing. I just read a good one uh, about sleep, about the importance of sleep and what it does to us uh, on a on a deep level. And how important it is for for not only our health but our mental health as well. What is that called, Adam? Uh, I'll get back to you on that. Okay. Are you available twenty four seven, or do you have strict time boundaries? I am available twenty four seven. I you know we just I just have to be the way we've grown, um, the challenges we have. The, the it's just it's too exciting for me at this point to not be like always on. And I know that's people will say that you need you need uh, work life balance, but my perspective is that if you love what you're doing and, and it's part of my life, it's I wouldn't say it's how I define myself, but it's a very important part of who I am. Um, I, I'm always on and, and, and I'm always available to my team because the way we've grown, I just have to be. Well, maybe after you, you read the book, why we sleep, that's the book I was telling you about why we sleep. You might, uh, you might start taking some time off to sleep. <laughs> my reps, my reps joke. That's why I'm asking you about the book. My reps joke that, you know, JR, you don't sleep. You just wait for the next day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Good. What's your favorite tool that you, you use for sales? LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Yeah. Why? Um, it's just when I started in sales, a, it wasn't really around. So like, you know, you're, you're reading like business journals and, you know, kind of Google things. Um, it's just, it, people are putting this information out there. Um, I, I think if you don't use it to your advantage, you're nuts. You don't want to be a crazy stalker and, and go try to find out who their college roommate is. But, you know, if you can find out where somebody went to college and what their charity, charity interests are, you should use that. I, you know, I, I think the same thing rings true in dating with things like Facebook and Instagram. Why wouldn't you want to know who the girl you're going to meet for a drink with has who, what her favorite movie is and try to slip that into conversation? <laughs> <laughs> spoken like a true salesperson <laughs> good all right what last question what one piece of advice do you have for all the uh founders ceos uh sales management out there great question i think you have to you have to know your why 
uh, and you have to have fun. That's those two things. If you know your why and you're having fun, and you and obviously you're working, those things will lead to hard work, and hard work leads to success. And I think knowing your why and having fun are the most important things that I think about every single day, and I make sure that my team does as well. Great. Know your why and have fun. JR, thanks again. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you, Adam.